0: I don't know about you, but um, this probably isn't the Christ kind of Christmas that you hope to be celebrating uh, this year. It probably hasn't been the, the kind of Christmas that you expected to have. Um, I guess a global pandemic can do that kind of thing. It can kind of set your, your expectations to be different. It changes everything about the, the how and the where and the what we are able to do together. Um, It's what worldwide events do. It might have changed the parties you could have gone to, the amount of uh, gifts you wanted to give or send, or the ability to connect and have meals and fellowship. It certainly changed the things that we'd normally do here at our church. It's been changing them uh, since the, the pandemic and all of the lockdowns and various changes have started. However, allow me to posit to you an idea that I think is something that is unique that we gain from that we benefit from from the fact that we are in a global pandemic and that is this this year we have a unique perspective on what it would have been like to have been there at the very first christmas in the in the biblical sense what christians gather to celebrate during this week and through advent and christmas eve and christmas day this year you and i because of this pandemic have a unique perspective we've gained insight on what it would have been like to have been there for the very first christmas i know this christmas is probably not the kind of Christmas that you expected. But that first Christmas wasn't what anyone expected. And I would like to show you, perhaps, help you discover or rediscover Christmas together. If you have a Bible, turn with me in them to Luke chapter 1. In Luke chapter 1, we read the story of Christmas that often doesn't actually hit on the story of Jesus. We actually find that his story starts much earlier with a a couple that you may not expect. We read in verse 5 that in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. It's amazing when when we get this kind of insight into the lives of people. In just a few short verses, we gain a glimpse of a couple who had served God faithfully all their lives. Him as a priest, her in the line of Aaron, the priestly line of Israel, both serving, growing up in homes. It would have been like being a a pastor's kid. It would have been like being part of, of someone who served faithfully each and every week at their local church and centered their lives around serving God. And we find that they're righteous, but they have this problem. childless. Now, that may not seem like a a huge problem today. There are many people who uh, don't want to have kids today, but in those days, being childless was actually seen as judgment from God. It wasn't assumed, but culturally there was this, well, why don't you have kids? And there would have been this understanding that righteous people have kids. So if you don't have kids then maybe you're not righteous. Maybe God is judging you for something. Maybe you need to repent from something. Even though they faithfully and religiously regularly all of their lives obeyed and honored God. They, they were judged. Welcome to the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we read A little bit about them and their part in this story that uh, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, in other words, serving in the temple, and was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, by lottery, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then... An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah would, as a priest, serve in his hometown, perhaps in his home tabernacle, but twice a year he had to go on a missions trip. He had to go and report to the head office, the temple in Jerusalem, where he and his team would perform the priestly functions of cleaning and preparing all of the services and welcoming people for sacrifices for two weeks. And because there were so many priests at that time, they held lotteries to decide who would get to go in and serve at the best things. They just decided this was the fairest way to do it. Too many people, not enough, uh, the bigger jobs, everybody wanted them, and so they had a lottery to see who got those spots. And Zechariah got this, and the best thing about this was once you did this job of offering the incense, you never got to do it again so that everyone got a fair chance as they uh, came and served every year. This was the high moment of ministry for him. This was like when someone from our world would graduate from high school or college. Or maybe they'd land that first job. This is the moment. This is the high point of life. This is one of those big things that he's celebrating. And so he's in a heightened spiritual state of worship. He is in, he is in this moment of this is my, my moment, this is my time to really do something significant in the eyes of God. And God does something significant to him. An angel shows up. Now, how many of you, when you've been baking your Christmas cookies or wrapping your presents, have had an angel show up beside the counter or beside the kitchen table where you're wrapping all of those presents? Probably none, right? This is huge. And look at the announcement that he's given. You're going to have a son. In your old age, you're going to have a son. Everything you've wanted is about to happen. God has heard your prayer, and he's going to answer them. And you're not just going to have a son. You're going to have a son who is great in the eyes of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, something that's brand new for God's prophets. And he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And the angel proclaims something that's actually really fascinating about how things were spiritually in the nation of Israel. He says, the hearts of parents will turn to their children. That seems odd, doesn't it? That seems strange that a parent's heart would need to turn to the thoughts of their kids. After all, in today's world, some parents are absolutely consumed with thoughts of their kids, even in an unhealthy fashion. So this seems strange to us. But all the angel is indicating is really how bad it was to live in a world where parents' hearts did not have their kids' best interests at heart. That's how broken homes were. And you and I both know that the family is the bedrock of society. And if the family is broken and society is broken. So this man, John, this baby that's coming is promised. He's going to turn parents' hearts back to their children. He's going to fix that bedrock of society and more so he's going to do something even more significant he's going to help people who refuse to listen to wisdom, refuse to listen to righteous teaching, he's going to help them do that he's going to help people begin to listen to the righteous rather than just those who say they're right that's going to be an amazing turn in the nation of Israel. It's going to be an amazing turn in the world that they know in their culture. Hearts will be transformed, in other words. This is not just an outward activity, another thing to throw on the calendar. This is something that is going to revolutionize their society. And if you're Zechariah, how do you feel in that moment? You have all of this promise. You have this incredible, gracious act, this gracious message that says, your son is coming, and he's not your." just going to be significant to you, but he is going to make a difference in all of culture. God is going to be pleased with him. He's going to be great. He's going to do great things in the sight of God. He's going to mend families. He's going to mend culture. He's going to restore people to each other. He's going to restore people to God. So this priest, in the high moment of his ministry, the thing that he had been training for all of his life, Says something puzzling. In verse 18, he says, Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. That's a polite way of saying my wife is also old. <laughs> Maybe not as old as him, but she's also old. We're both old people, so how is this possible? How can I be sure? And we learn in that moment, Zachariah's true state of his faith. His faith is on a shaky foundation. Yes, he had served God all of his life. But in this moment, when an angel comes and delivers God's message to him, this is God's plan for him, and this is how his baby is going to change the world, he says, how can I be sure? And... Maybe you would too, maybe I would too, if we had prayed and prayed and asked and served and been faithful and there'd been no response from God until this moment. But it shows that his his faith is uh, on shaky foundation. He doubts. And maybe you and I would have acted the same way, but I think on the other hand, the fact that there is an angel in front of you might be a good sign that that's a hint. That God is about to do something amazing. Imagine a spiritual person who doesn't imagine. Who doesn't believe that spiritual results can happen. And the angel tells him that. Zachariah wants a sign. He gives him one. Just not the one he expected. The angel said to him. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So Zechariah is given a sign. The sign was the angel. If you need more, then you won't be able to speak until the baby comes. In verse 21, we read that meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but he was unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after this, his wife, became, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. It is amazing that even with older people like Zachariah and Elizabeth, That God had a plan that included them. They just struggled to believe it. Why? Because God's plans didn't fit his experiences and his expectations. And he had been around a long time. He'd seen a few things in his day. But he'd never heard anything like this. So how could he know for certain? And so he doubted. Because God's plan didn't fit with his expectation. However, that's not the only message that Gabriel would deliver, right? There's the more famous message that we know from the Christmas story that we find in verse 26. In verse 26, we read that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. In this small little insignificant town to a young seemingly insignificant person who has her life ahead of her but who hasn't really started living yet. The angel comes and gives an even more impressive promise than what he delivered to the priest, Zachariah, in his moment of ministry when he should have had heightened spiritual sensitivity to what God might be doing, to what God might be saying, he comes and shows up at her house and says, you are favored with God. You will have a child. and Your child will be special. I mean, every mom thinks their child is special. But to have this said, By an angel, that your child will be called the Son of the Most High, and that he will sit on the throne of his father David, that his kingdom will never end. All of a sudden, all of Mary's Sunday school teaching came back into her mind as she remembered all of the messianic promises of what the Savior of the nation would be. She connected the dots. And and he will be the son of God. So what's the difference? Why on earth does the angel get frustrated and tell Zachariah that he'll be mute until the baby is born? Because no word of God will go unfulfilled. But why is he... It's explaining how she will become pregnant. How, why is he explaining that as a virgin, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon her and the power of the Most High will overshadow her and she will become pregnant so that the baby will be called the Son of God? Why is he explaining? Why is he not correcting? Like he did Zechariah, Because Mary's faith is not like Zechariah's faith. Even at her young age, even with all of her inexperience in life, she had a different kind of faith. Her faith was in a healthier position. It wasn't on shaky ground. It was on solid ground because she didn't ask if it could happen. She asked how it would happen. She just needed a little bit more details. Can you flesh out the plan a little bit? I understand that you're trying to tell me that this is what's going to happen. I get that, but I'm just a little shaky on the details. Can you tell me how this is going to work, considering where I am in my life? I'm not even married yet. And the angel explains the plan. And he also gives her proof that God has the power to do exactly what the angel said he would do that the Holy Spirit would come upon her. After all, look at your uh, cousin. Your cousin Elizabeth is six months pregnant. And remember, she was in, conc- in uh, seclusion. She was in hiding. Nobody knew. And so this would have been news to her that this was going on. So he says, look, if God can do this and he can cause an older person to get pregnant, he can certainly do this. You can trust him. He's got the power to do it. And so she goes to see we read in verse uh, 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to the town, to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she proclaimed, "Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear." But why am I so favored? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears. The baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The baby that Elizabeth is carrying. Witnesses. To Elizabeth and witnesses to Mary that God is able to fulfill His promises to the ones that He has made promises to. And in that moment, they discovered this critical truth about God that Mary would then respond with this this amazing song of, of worship and adoration. In verse 46, we read, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant.'" He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And then Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, probably the arrival of the baby, and then returned home. In that moment, in that time, Mary and Elizabeth discovered a critical truth about God that you and I need to discover or perhaps rediscover about him this Christmas. They learned that God is much closer than they knew. And as a matter of fact, God is, was watching them. You know the, the song, uh, right? Uh, he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake, right? In reality, that's really terrifying, And and consider the first part of the song. You better watch out. (laughs) You better not cry. You better not pout, right? I'm telling you why, because some big guy in a coat is coming, right? You know that song. It's terrifying that someone would be watching you all of the time in some ways. But for God, that's not why he's watching. He's close because he wants to be merciful. They learned that God is a personal God. That he is not distant from them. And that he's taking an interest in them. An interest in their lives. An interest in their righteousness. And that he had a plan for them. Because of their faith. He had a plan for them. Because of their faith. He invited them into a plan. That they couldn't have possibly. Conceived of in their own mind. Because they couldn't conceive on their own. And God invites them. To be a part of something that he's doing. That he says. Listen. If you do this. You will have. A blessing from me that will bless the world in ways that you couldn't possibly imagine. And God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed from that early Christmas to this Christmas. Even though it may you may not be able to follow through on the plans that you expected to have or that you'd love to force Somehow, that this is what's going to happen, and this is the experience that we're going to create. God's plan has not changed since that first Christmas. His plan is to bring people back into a right relationship with each other, to mend families, to mend society, but also to bring people back into a right relationship with Him. And that centers, all of that centers around Jesus, the one who we celebrate today. And there's only two responses that you can have to the invitation of God when He comes and says, I would like you to be a part of my plan. We can either respond like Zechariah or we can respond like Mary. There are only two responses to the plan of God that God is working in the world, both at that first Christmas and at this Christmas. Will you yield to it or will you doubt it? Now I know, to be perfectly honest, we want to say that we'll yield to it. We want to say that we'll yield, but let's face it, that's hard. Because when someone else comes with a plan for you, our initial response is not, I am your servant, may it be to me as you will. Instead, (laughs) we uh, view those plans as inconveniences. We view them as interruptions. Just think back to, you know, your last week at work. You have a plan for what you want to do at work. You have some things that you have to get done. And then Friday at 3 o'clock, your boss walks in your door and says, Hey, we've got some things that we still need to do. And we're going to need them done before Monday morning. And you think, I have plans. These are inconveniences. These are interruptions. You find someone else to do it. Who are you to tell me these things? That I need to be the one to get these done. We take that same feeling of when we get interrupted at work and we put that on our relationship and our understanding of God. That God's plans are an interruption and an inconvenience. But what faith does, what real faith does, is give room for God's plans to override our own. Like Mary's plan, like Mary's response. Mary's response was, so can you help flesh out some of the details on how this is supposed to work? Not, well, my experience is that you won't do this, so why should I believe you? Like uh, Zachariah's response was. And that's why Mary yielded to God's plan. She understood that God is a personal God. That God wants to bless her and that God wants to bless others through her? And when he comes with an impossible request, she says yes. She yields to God's plans, putting aside all of her wedding planning, all of her other expectations of what, might, what life would be, and bent the knee to the God of the universe. Imagine what that would have been like for Mary. As she told people that I'm carrying the Son of God. What would that have been like? You know, there's a reason why her cousin Elizabeth went into hiding and seclusion, right? How did you get pregnant? I think I'm done telling this story. I'm just going to hide and show up with the results. I don't need this kind of stress. I need to sequester uh, from all of the, the questioning and the people asking and whispering behind my back. It would have been worse for Mary. Imagine Wait, you're pregnant, but you're not married yet. Oh, yes, God did it. Uh, We need to talk because that's not how this works. She would have had to know that she's about to endure ridicule in order to stay in God's plan, and she was willing to do it. That's the kind of faith that brings Christmas alive in 2020 that you and I need to have. How do we respond to the activity of God that God is doing this Christmas the same way that Mary did at that first Christmas? By yielding to it. And the way that we yield is that when God says, here's my plan, we surrender all to that plan as he asks us. That's why Mary yielded to it. And to be fair, there's probably times in your life, like there are times in mine, when if we look back, we can kind of see that there were moments where we have not yielded to God's plan. Is there any hope? Absolutely. We read that um, in verse 57 of chapter 1. That when it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. And her relatives and neighbors heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy. And they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child. And they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, his name, he is to be called John. And they argued with her. They said to her, well, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. This is a way to carry on the family name. And they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he agreed with his wife. That's not an astonishing thing for us today. That makes total sense to me. But for him to do that, to say that this is now my legacy, he writes, his name is John. And immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All of the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And Zechariah also responds in worship and praise and adoration because he recognized that God's plan was better and that God was now sending someone to redeem His people, to bring them back to Himself, just as the holy prophets of old promised and foretold. And He gave thanks because His Son, even before He was born, was going to be a great part of this redemptive work of God. Zechariah is given a second chance. And so are you. Even if you've said no to the plan of God that he has in the person of Jesus Christ, there is still a time for you. But the principle remains the same. The way that we respond to what God is doing in the world this Christmas is the same as the way Mary responded at that Christmas. And eventually, Zechariah responded at that Christmas. And that is, yield to his plan by participating in it. And what I mean by that is this. Don't just yearn for a return to Christmases of old. Don't just pull out the photo albums and think, gosh, I remember when and I wish we could go back to when all of these things were the things that made me happy. Instead, look to the things that make God happy. And the things that make God happy are all the way through this story. That people are being restored to each other. And that people are being restored to Him. That is something to surrender your life to. Don't just yearn for Christmases of old. Make room for God's plan. God's agenda by yielding to it this Christmas. My hunch is you may not be asked to have a child in old age or to carry a child who, uh, and you're a virgin. My hunch is that's probably not your calling. Those two jobs have been fulfilled. But I do know that God is asking each and every one of us to be a part of his great plan. And he promises that that participation will not only be the greatest blessing that you could ever experience. It will be the greatest blessing that you could ever give to your world you have the opportunity to yield to him and to look back on life and see how all of those dots are connecting and how God is using you and inviting you to be a part of this great thing that he is doing in the person of Jesus Christ. The question is, will you yield? Will you make room? Will you make his plans? Your plans? So make time. It's interesting to me that um, the way that Mary and Zechariah responded when they realized the blessing that they were about to receive, they exploded with worship and adoration. And if you think back to the Christmases of the past, they're so busy with stuff, with activities, stuff to do, that worship gets crowded out. But just sitting and adoring the fact that God would choose to send His Son to be born as a human, that God would be with us, Emmanuel, is something that we should pause and reflect on every day and allow that to be our motive, our energy for all of our lives. You know, as a child, I would um, take some time uh, when the Christmas break hit from school. It would usually be at night, and I'd open up my mom's record player. Uh, you may not own a record player today. They're kind of limited things, but just picture CDs or DVDs just a lot larger. Uh, and I would put some Christmas songs on there. They were mostly uh, Christian Christmas carols, some of the stuff that we've sang today and uh, so on. Um, I would turn all of the lights off in the house. And I grew up outside of a town, so there were no street lights. There were no other lights except for the stars. And of course, it's a really small town, so there's no pollution uh, really anywhere. And on a cloudless night, it was like day outside. It was that bright. And to just stare out over the, the frozen tundra of northern Ontario and to see all of those lights reflect and to sit in awe and, and just look listening to these words of what God had done with the arrival of Jesus and what God was doing and wanting to do all because of Jesus. My heart was moved to worship and adoration. It was just filled with amazement that God would do this and that He would do it for me. And that He has done this for you. is just as amazing. What if you were to take some time in this pandemic to make sure that you and your family... Got away from the traditional trappings of Christmas. And had genuine moments where your kids, your parents, your grandparents, your family members had space to allow God to speak. To be reminded that that holy night is something that God meant to be a blessing To you. That you would come. And adore him. Christ the Lord. That the joy to the world. Is also for you. No matter what you are facing. At this time in your life. That joy. Is for you. That promise is for you. That plan is for you. Will you yield to it. No matter whether you've got your life ahead of you, like Mary. Or whether life has just a few treads left on the tire, like Zachariah. You can, today, yield to what Christmas is all about. And discover or rediscover Christmas by yielding to God's plan For Christmas, which is for you to yield. I know. This Christmas is not going to be the Christmas that you expected. But that Christmas wasn't what anyone expected. And it's proof that God's plan is always bigger and better than mine. It's better than yours. Let's yield to him. And worship him. This Christmas. And in the days to come. Let me pray for you. Jesus I ask that you would. Be with us in this moment. That your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And that you would. Help us to yield. To the great plan that you have. You want to use us and bless us and bless others through us in similar ways like you used Zachariah and like you used Mary? Would you help us to have the faith to yield to your plans? They are better than ours. Lord, for those that are here, for those that are joining us on our online campus, Lord, would you speak to them? If they've never given their life to you and trusted Jesus with the plans of their life, I pray that you would help them to pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me for the times that I have put my plans above yours. I realize now that your plans are better. I surrender my life to you and I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. And help me to follow you. Help me to yield to your plan for my life. Help me to trust you. Lord, for those who once prayed a prayer like that, but maybe they're struggling trusting you, I pray, Lord, that you would build their faith. That you would remind them that your promises always come true and they don't need to look any farther than that first Christmas. And would you help them again to yield their plans to your plans? Lord, we pray for your blessing. We pray for your leadership in our lives because it's always better. And may we know that joy that you promised to the whole world because we yielded to you.